And welcome <laughs> to the Down a Friend Podcast, the official podcast of downafriendpodcast.com. If this is your first time hanging in there and checking us out, thanks so much for uh, tuning in to us. Uh, what we do here is that we review a bunch of movies, TV shows, really just being a bunch of nerds all over a couple of beverage or drinks. Uh, and then we talk about some other things that we've been watching before we talk about our actual review. And tonight... I'm very excited because this is arguably one of the biggest things I've ever nerd out of besides football and Adventure Time and a lot of other Japanese animation is Fantastic Beasts number two, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And we have one of our resident experts here on the podcast. But before we get into that, I'm going to toss it over to my best friend. We go way back. Usually our pastime is really going, you know, hanging out around Christmas time and eating a bunch of cheese balls. <laughs> Mouth of the South, Brylin. What's going on, man? What you sipping on tonight, and what you been watching? Oh, good evening tonight. Uh, we can never get enough Christmas cheddar balls running around and rolling around the world. Uh, what I'm sipping on tonight is I got my reliable uh, G2 Gatorade fruit punch flavor uh, going strong right now. So sober evening for me tonight uh what i've been watching recently is i checked out a show that uh, one of my friends that goes hunting a lot recommended to me called meat eater and it has this hunter uh steven ranella who is actually uh someone that shows up on the joe rogan podcast a lot uh, and he also wrote a successful cookbook about how like hunting live game and how you would actually prepare it and cook it and uh, make it more than just like uh, caveman eating like a big leg of whatever animal they killed. You want to fancy it up a little bit. Uh, checked out a few episodes of this uh, show on Netflix. It's pretty cool. I think you, you definitely have to have an interest in what it takes to hunt wild game to be interested in the subject matter. Um, never gets too super graphic or anything, so if anybody's like worried about that, it doesn't really get that far. It's more about the process that happens when it comes to hunting. And they are, uh, he is a professional hunter and conservationist, so he's not baiting animals or anything um that's inhumane like that it's all about him versus the elements and him versus um versus like does he have the skill and the ability to actually take down this animal that who can run 60 miles an hour at in five in 0.5 seconds before he even makes a move so it's really cool to see what they uh how they actually go through that process. Um, the other thing I've been watching recently is the Romanoffs on Amazon Prime. I'm about five episodes in. I I feel like I like Matt Weiner's writing. I like his uh, characters that he creates. It's interesting that this is an anthology, so you really don't get the time to con- 
to buy into these characters like you would in Mad Men, but uh, they're fun little like one-off stories that he tells, and it's definitely more uh, light in tone compared to Mad Men, um, but they also still have some very mature themes to them. Uh, I really like the episode that has, um, oh, who was the secretary for Mad Men? Joan Harris or Christina Hendricks. Christina Hendricks. Her episode was really cool, and the most recent episode I watched that had like a um, concerned mother with uh, kids that are playing piano and the piano teacher. That was really cool as well. Uh, but sometimes it feels like the stories he set up uh, because they're all supposed to be descendants of the Romanovs. That it feels like. Um, like you should go get a pumpkin spice latte and sit down and um, <laughs> and uh, put on your favorite Uggs to watch this show sometimes, but uh, I'm still enjoying it. I think it's fun. I'm wearing all of those right now. That's funny. I, exactly. <laughs> well, as always, it's great to uh, hear your voice and see your face, especially because I remember you were one of the main people that we did the Fantastic Beast review a year ago um, so I'm excited to see what you think about you know the number one and number two and we'll talk about that a little bit later I'm going to toss it to my other be- very best friend but not as best friend of Brylin but more of a best friend as Blewett Mocha Mike how's it going man it's good to see your face uh, what you been sipping on and what you been watching Hey everybody, so happy to be here Even if it's playing second fiddle to Bryland I completely get it, that guy is a gem um, But I'm very excited to be here today To talk about Fantastic Beasts The Crimes of Gind- Grindelwald um, Spoiler alert The crimes are domestic abuse um, <laughs> As for what I'm drinking today I am drinking a delicious beer From a craft brewery It's called Reap What You Sow The brewery is called Rar. I think it's called RAR. Maybe it's pronounced just R-A-R. I call it RAR. But it's a brewery down in Maryland. Um, and this particular beer of theirs is a stout that is uh, served in pints and 12.3% alcohol by volume, which is a hefty hit, but it tastes delicious and is surprisingly sweet and not too um, not too heavy for a stout. So I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, as for what I've been watching, I recently saw a film in theaters called Boy Erased. Um, this is a movie that was, I was really glad I was able to catch. It's about the son of a Southern Baptist preacher who comes out to his family as gay, and because he lives in a Christian household that uh, believes that that's a sin, he is sent to a, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like a re-education camp, um, basically to fix his gayness. And it's actually a true story. The movie is based off the memoirs of the same boy who's, who's in the film, and it was a really, really intense watch. You know, these sort of re-education camps are still legal in like 36 states and they're really fucked up and they do a lot of fucked up things to people and mess them up forever and are very abusive and uh, can cause a lot of psychological and physical trauma. And the things that this kid witnesses and sees while he's in there is pretty, pretty traumatic. Um, but uh, the movie itself was really, uh, was really cool to see and it's great to see this sort of thing talked about. Um, in mainstream culture because it's something that like I've just been aware of in general from like growing up in a Christian household and I've always thought it was just really really shitty and I feel like more light needs to be shined on this so that it can be outlawed in like federally um, but it was worth definitely worth a watch so check it out if you uh, want to see a sad movie that has a slightly uplifting ending I know I was trying to actually find to watch that movie but it was kind of tough in my area um, so I'm really hoping that that 
does become some sort of riot release, especially now. I know a lot of people come together for the holidays and watch a lot of movies, so I really hope that is out um, in a wide release because I have been hearing a, a good amount of inf- like just buzz about that movie, and also the cast is really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much. I'm, uh, I was glad to uh, see your face and uh, see you have a Yankees hat on, so I guess at least you're good for something. <laughs> Got to rep the home team. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to one of my best friends. Our very special guest, super excited because she finally has caught up and watched other Star Star Wars movies, but we're not going to talk about that. Oh, awesome. Yeah, finally. (laughs) Took her 33 years, but it's fine. Uh, Megan, how is it going? How are you? It's great to see your face. What are you sipping on tonight? What have you been watching? And when's the last time that you saw the last Harry Potter movies? Um, it is great to be here. So thank you for having me. I am currently drinking a wine called Curious Beasts because I felt that it needed to be themed Ooh. with tonight. Mm-hmm. You win. You win. <laughs> it's pretty good. They have a cab and a red blend and a Chardonnay. So any kind of wine you're into, they've got it. Um, the last time I watched a Harry Potter movie was quite recently, but last No, two winters ago, I came to visit Boston and Warren and I sat down and watched all of the Harry Potter movies back to back in one weekend. (laughs) Um, I think it was snowing outside, which was good. But um, aside from rewatching every Harry Potter movie always, I'm watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. Um, I was a big fan of Sabrina growing up. Very, very different show. Not even remotely the same. Um, (laughs) She's 16 and a witch, which is the same, but um, the Sabrina from when I was growing up was very lighthearted and funny and fun. And this is very, very dark. Um, They all basically worship Satan. Um, but there are some parts that are very similar to Harry Potter. Like there's, um, like the big evil and, and, you know, the chosen one and her parents are like mixed blood and that's not okay. So pretty interesting. Um, aside from watching Netflix, I've been listening to binge mode, Harry Potter, which recaps all of Harry Potter. They do six chapters at a time and kind of look at it as if they're digging deep into a literary text. So they'll look at different themes amongst the chapters and kind of highlight things that you didn't catch the first time you read it. Now that we've seen, we've read all the books, seen all the movies, and they kind of pull in different things from the entire Harry Potter universe, including Fantastic Beasts and The Cursed Child. So pretty neat. I'd highly recommend it. I love The Cursed Child. I don't know if we've ever got a chance to talk about that, but I really, really love that. Uh, what episode are you on? Did you already finish The Chilling Tales of Sabrina? No. I think I'm on episode four or five. It's okay. a lot. Yeah, I just finished it uh, probably last week, um, and it's kind of funny that I'm curious. I think you're the only other person that has started watching it that I've seen <laughs> I've talked about it. So I'm curious what you're going to get to take as it goes along, because them worshiping Satan is like pretty obvious and it just kind of keeps going to that road. So I think it's pretty interesting, especially like how it ends. So I'm curious to see um, what you think. Mm-hmm. Do they have cool wands? No. Cool houses. I mean, but no. all right. 
No. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not watching it. Yeah. Cool robes. No. No. <laughs> I'm not watching it. Um, it's interesting because if you've ever seen Riverdale or read the Archie comics, yes, uh, it's have. in the same universe. Yep. So it's got that very like 50s retro vibe, but people have iPhones. So it's oh. very like, what year is it? Um, and they may or may not do a crossover with Riverdale. So. Oh. It'll be interesting if they do. Mm-hmm. I'll check it out. Well, as always, it's great to have you on. I'm super excited um, to get your feedback and for you to probably correct all of our errors that we will be talking about. The Are we calling this the Harry Potter universe? Yeah, so the wizarding I, world. Okay, cool. Which one of my favorite things about the intro was the intro to the wizarding world where it's the, the book that opens and it's all of the wands and it's the W. That's cool. Is it w- yeah, or? that wasn't really neat. It was w- Wizarding w- World. Oh, okay. Trademark J.K. Rowling. <laughs> Always good to hear. Well, my name is Warren. I will be the host for this evening. I am currently drinking uh, Jameson and Ginger Ale because I uh, am not creative. Uh, and uh, I have been watching. Have anybody seen uh, Patriot Act by Hassan Minaj on Netflix? No, I haven't. But I'm in a group chat with a bunch of brown people, and they're all talking about it constantly. Oh, oh my goodness! So I really enjoy. Like I'm really trying to kind of get into politics and less into comedy. But politics is just kind of sad. At least not politics, but it's kind of current news. So you know, I watch a lot of John Oliver. Uh, but I think already he is hilarious he has a netflix special that he already kind of talks about himself but he talks about netflix he just talks about these it seems like random uh things that are happening but really kind of goes from it from an educational point so he talks about a lot of history he talked you know he talks about amazon he talks about oil he talks about the most recent one he talked about uh like big labels like supreme and like there's a particular uh, term that talks about it so really really enjoy this show a lot especially if you have netflix i mean this guy is like absolutely hilarious and um he doesn't necessarily kind of hold his punches he talks about the fact that he's brown and how um that has affected him in his life and kind of growing up and he's just kind of really pretty honest about it but i think it's pretty cool so if you haven't seen him before if you haven't seen it definitely check it out i think some of his episodes are under like 30 40 minutes um but it comes weekly and that's just kind of weird i'm not entirely sure exactly when it shows up but usually i go back to netflix and i see there's another episode so as long as you check one day a week you should be good yeah, I feel. I mean, do you do you get the feeling like there's too many of these politically focused comedy shows right now? Because I feel like there's like a new one popping up, and it's like, which ones do I watch? I mean, like, yeah, I'll check out. I even got to the point where like I watch John Oliver like once a month now, and I just don't need like the constant input of let's take us let's do by biting criticism towards politics. And I, uh, he actually made a a hilarious, but like very true comment on that. Oh yeah. This past episode. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, there's a million of these shows that are popping up. So what makes it different? And I think he said something like, you know, there's a million of these shows that are popping up, but I'm the only Brown one. And I'm like, he's not wrong. You know, um, I, I do like him more and I like John Oliver a bit more because it feels like they have they show their evidence. The evidence is there. They kind of tie it back. I think John Oliver is actually like more visceral and like definitely targeted to 
Trump and a lot of in Scientology, right? Whereas uh, he just can he's go through a lot of different topics and really kind of he really really goes into the history of these things and how it's actually affecting you today. But it's not like a a call to action. It's more just kind of educational, but it is funny. Uh, yeah. So although he does talk shit about people, I don't think he's doing it in a mean way. He's just saying, hey, this is what this is what actually is happening. People, you may not know. Yeah, it sounds like say, more of its cultural focus than just pure politics. Yeah, two things about that. One is that um, uh, Hassan Minaj, much like John Oliver, um, they're both Daily Show alums, and so that's just like kind of goes hand in hand with the uh, their approach and the way their shows kind of tackle issues of the day. Um, but also, yeah, Brian, there's definitely a lot of these type of shows out today. I feel like more so than previously. Um, the current political climate, regardless of which side or which uh, like beliefs you fall under, is something that is itself forcing itself into the daily mainstream conversation, whether we want to or not. And so it kind of makes yeah. sense because it opened up this market for these kind of shows where there's where before, you know, when The Daily Show first came out uh, so many years ago, it was about politics. But it was at a time when people like young people didn't have to care about politics. And Jon Stewart kind of brought like brought it to the forefront for us to like learn more about. Um, but I feel like that's different uh, with the, the current administration. I feel like every day we're forced to, whether we want to or not, have, have some kind of uh, – uh, have some sort of uh, interaction with politics. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah you I turn on the news, the, the jokes write themselves. You don't need someone to tell the jokes for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite sad, really. But I think it's definitely a good show, especially if you're trying to get into it, if it's something that you want fun that's also kind of educational. Um, I like it. I like also John Oliver's. So don't get me wrong. I didn't really care too much or I'm not really into like the daily show. I think that's a little bit more kind of drawn out. I like these shows that come on at least uh, it's a little bit more sort of like centered uh, and like structured. That's a little bit quicker. So I think it was a lot of those episodes. So I'm like, I don't want, I don't like that much. But I like these once a week. I think it's kind of fun. So I'm excited. We're going to go ahead and transition to our new segment. So if everybody wouldn't mind, go ahead and raising their glass for our new Cinda Sip and so I want to start with my best friend. Here we go way back, uh, Mr. Mocha. Who are you? Uh, who are you sending a sip to? That's a great question. Um, I think that I will send my sip out to my buddy Kendall, um, aka Kendarukun. Today is his birthday, and as I say this, I realize that I forgot to text him. So I'm going to do that once I pass it. But for now, this sip goes out to him. What a friend. What a friend. Brylan. It's not you? midnight yet. Fair enough. Uh, Brylan, who are you uh, sending your sip to? Uh, I'm going to send my sip out to House Slytherin, founded by Salazar Slytherin. Uh, gets too much bad of a rap, so it's great to see in this movie that there is a good Slytherin doing good things uh, and even making some brilliant sacrifices as well. The one bad criticism I would, or one criticism I would have about the original Harry Potter series is that all the good guys are on Gryffindor and then they say all the bad guys are Slytherins. Hey, let's get some class diversity going on here. Some people can be bad. Some people can be good. It doesn't matter what house you belong to. A lot of the bullies that were bullying uh, Hermione and them were in Gryffindor and you've seen it a lot in the books and the, in the movies. So, I haven't read the books yet, so I'm pure movie person. So I I appreciate Brylin's there were good Slytherins on both sides stance here. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Draco might be a douche, but he's our douche. <laughs> I mean, we, but, already, uh, we already know like one of the best Slytherins was Snape. So yes, yes, we got Snape. 
He's on our team. So, how Slytherin, I'll send us a bell to you. Uh, Megan with 16 E's, uh, who are you sending your sip to? Um, I'm going to send my sip to Derek, who is arguably the nicest third of Friends with Blends. Um, wish he could be here with us, but he's out of town. So, cheers to him. Thanks for cheersing me. <laughs> I, was, I was cheersing, but I was also drinking, so I didn't want to like, spill it all over my computer. Uh, yeah, so I'm actually going to have two sips. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to send out a sip over to Burnt Tongues Media. Uh, actually, a new, actually, it was two new sort of media and sort of podcasts I started look, listening to. Um, they actually are a bit closer to our um, uh, brother company child i guess we can say it's our child okay yeah so we have our fear boners is our child uh podcast hosted by andrew abbott so they do a lot of horror and um sort of a thriller sort of um episodes was actually pretty cool and another new podcast i started listening to is called the rewatchables has anybody heard of them no oh man they just talk about the re like the rewatching factor of like old movies and i started just being in love with one of the episodes they're talking about is Forrest Gump. And I know everybody here has heard our first episode that we talked about at movie rankings and Forrest Gump was number one on my list. So uh, super pumped about that. So send a sip to both of you and thanks so much. So at this time, we're going to be getting into our spoiler section. But before we get into that, I'm curious who's going to go around and ask per theme. I'd like to know what everybody's houses are. And we're going to talk about either the American houses, which is a little bit different. What we're probably going to talk about is the original houses from um, Hogwarts. So I'm going to start with our special guest, Megan. Uh, what is your house, and do you think it fits? <laughs> I am a Hufflepuff. Um, if we're going based off of purely Pottermore, but I have been pretty close to 50-50 Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. And I think Hufflepuff is definitely a good fit for me. Um, I do love Newt and I think that, that we're kindred spirits. So I definitely agree with it, which is why I bought myself a hoodie that said Hufflepuff. That's fair enough. I mean, I'm not going to make fun of you. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to toss it over to Mocha and says, what house are you? So for the Hogwarts houses, via Pottermore, so it's as official as official can get, uh, I was Gryffindor. So shout out to my fellow Gryffindors uh, throughout the world. Um, as for my Ilvermorny houses, uh, house, I was, I'm a Thunderbird, um, which I'm pretty sure is kind of the American equivalent of Gryffindor. So at least there was some consistency there. But, uh, but yeah, that's where, they, where Pottermore set me up. Mouth of the South, what you got for me? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, my Hogwarts house, as in regard, I mean, as shown on Pottermore, is House Slytherin. Uh, and my Ilvermorny house is Horned Serpent. So I think they go hand in hand with one another. Uh, and I would always think of myself as a Ravenclaw because I'm like a big book reader and brainy and I'm all about nerdy stuff and knowledge and stuff like that. But uh, I guess I'm a little bit selfish. So on to the snakes I go. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. But I don't know parcel tongue, so not yet. Not yet. No. Right. Harry Potter didn't know parcel tongue and then he learned it because he found out he already knew it from before. He got a lightning bolt stuck in his head. But does he? Know, but does he know it now? After he's no longer a Horcrux? No, he doesn't. I, 
<laughs> in fairness, Ron slightly learned it because he just repeated what Harry said to open it. So That's it's doable. True. True. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I know that uh, the only actually quiz I've actually ever taken was um, in Hogwarts because I didn't really like uh, Fantastic Beasts as much, so I never did that quiz. So I will do it as we're going to go on our break, and I'll let everybody know. But um, the I did actually get the uh, uh, Gryffindor, uh, something about bravery and something, something, something. Um, but mm. the, that was the kind of the kind of the biggest one. It was also it was wasn't as fair because it definitely seemed like some of the questions was kind of guided towards, hey, are you a social person or not? And that's how I feel a lot of those questions were. Maybe it was just me, but I was just like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm social, so I guess that makes me Gryffindor along with being brave. So I How dare you call the Sorting Hat uh, shallow? It goes way deeper than that. Also, I think it's rather telling that no one in the group currently is a Ravenclaw. Um, I think we're missing a little bit of intelligence. <laughs> we all you know, know Blewett is yeah. for sure a Ravenclaw. I was absolutely going to say that Blewett would be a Ravenclaw. Yeah, we have to get him to do the Pottermore survey if he hasn't already. Uh, he's gonna, I don't think he's gonna Blewett do- would make it into school. <laughs> the Hogwarts I, I School can't. for Witchcraft and Sick Guitar Riffs. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, we're going to take a quick uh, break. We will see you soon for a full spoiler section of Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Down the Front Podcast. We are in our spoiler section, so if you haven't seen the movie, we are reviewing Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald. I would say you may not want to uh, pay attention. You may want to stop. You may want to pause. Definitely go check out this movie. I think it's fun, especially around the holidays. Uh, it's a pretty big family movie. It talks a lot about family. Uh, so you definitely want to go check it out. Come back and pick up where you left off and resume the podcast. Uh, we have a great group of people here. We have the Mouth of the South, the Brylin, we have Mocha Mike, and we have our special guest, Megan. Um, so we're going to be breaking this up into a couple sections as we usually do. Uh, I wanted to add a bit of section, especially because we've already reviewed this movie, uh, the first version last year, and we know that there's going to be a couple other movies, at least one um, later. So we're going to be breaking up into acting and the characters as we normally do we'll talk a bit about the story about the wizarding world sort of universe building as well as talking a bit about dumbledore and grindelwald and then the last section i did want to talk a little bit about kind of future theory some other questions because i know this movie has been getting a lot of questions a lot of kind of feedback about it and so people are pretty polarized about it so i'm going to toss it over to mr brylin the mouth of the south and says talk to me about the acting and characters uh yeah so i'll first start off by um Going into probably two of the more main characters in this movie. First one is Johnny Depp as Grindelwald. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one when I saw the first Fantastic Beast and at the end when Colin Farrell turned into Johnny Depp, I was just like, what in the hell is this? And why did they get Johnny Depp for two seconds of film footage? Um, it was definitely dumbfounding and weird why they would make that choice. But uh, as we saw Grindelwald move around in this film, uh, I found him to be really cool and really interesting. And they have this, uh, he has this gift of 
being able to persuade people to believe whatever he says. Uh, and uh, I found him like both equal parts charming and vicious at the same time. And I thought it was kind of amusing that the way he spoke about things, why uh, he's on the path he is, it always sounded like he was giving a TED Talk. So I thought that was a really cool part of his uh, character as well. Um, along with J- Johnny Depp, uh, Jude Law's Dumbledore. So we have already seen two Dumbledores in uh, Richard Harris and Michael Gambon. Um, I know some people have some reservations about how Michael Gambon approached Dumbledore, but I always thought he was a really cool character. He's not like your normal, everyday, like wise old wizard. He had like a he had a temper. He had some arrogance behind him, but also he was always there trying to do the right thing, which I thought was really cool. And I think Jude Law, even though. I think there, we can't really totally see how he's connecting this character to what Michael Gambon did uh, in the Harry Potter films. I start to see like the seeds being sown here, and I think Jude Law had, brings this uh, kind of like brashness to him, but also earnestness of he's a younger professor, um, still young and and probably kind of naive as well. Um, but I think it's really cool to see him kind of entrust in Newt, like the same way he entrusted in Harry. And it's not about like, you're not the strongest wizard in the world. Apparently Jude, uh, Dumbledore and Grindelwald are like badass wizards that no one can touch. Um, but it's, uh, really cool to see that, uh, he always has like these, uh, these motives of like, encouraging who he thinks are the right people to handle the job, which I think is really cool. Uh, the only downside I would say is like, hey, if if he's the goat of wizards, let's see him unleash that magic. Let's see him actually show what he's capable of doing. I think that would have been badass to see about Dumbledore. I mean, even kind of going back of a couple of these points, I, I was super nervous and also kind of bummed that when Johnny Depp, which was the huge spoiler in the first movie, uh, was sort of introduced, I was like, holy shit, please do not do anything that I've seen in like in all the movies that Pirates of the Korean Band. I just don't want to see any of this. Please, please, I have not seen you in a good movie in a very long time. Um, and so now seeing him here, and I, I actually liked it. It was pretty subtle. He wasn't really on screen too much, but in, when he was, I know you said it was a TED Talks, but I think that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I liked that it felt like his character was very subtle, uh, and it definitely seemed like it was, uh, again, more complex, and there's a lot more to him. And it wasn't, although he's playing a, a character looking actor, it wasn't like he was hamming it up. You know, and I really hope he kind of keeps to that way too. And kind of the same thing approach of kind of Jude Law. And it's very interesting because Jude Law has had, you know, long, crazy career, a lot of different roles, just like Johnny Depp, but none is that animated. But it's, he's also doing a bit of a straight character, but it's kind of playing reserve. And it's also something like there's something that it seems like both of them are hiding, which I thought was pretty interesting. So I like at least where they were going in this actual film, at least with these two characters, right? This is the first time that we see two of the most influential characters ever young on the same screen together, right? Not in the, not in the same scene. Uh, but that's something that I'd like to see more about. And I would love to see whenever they kind of interact. So I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. 
Um, also thought uh, Newt uh, Scamander was actually much better in this film than the previous movie. I thought he was one of the weakest points of the original Fantastic Beasts. I was annoyed by Eddie Redmayne's just mumbling and hunchiness and just like looking away from everybody and that he was just like overly shy in the first one. Uh, I, I thought it was really cool. He kind of like he brought a little bit more unique personality to Newt this time. And I thought that having his brother Theseus and Lita and that little triangle going on, it, we saw a little bit more about like who Newt is as the character. And I thought Eddie Redmayne did a better job with that. Uh, yeah, long, Newt, oh yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to say that, that I agree with you. Like Newt's character definitely came way more into his own in this movie. I think, I mean, obviously in the first movie he was the main character, but I still feel like, he had way more depth as a person than he did in the first movie, which is just an aloof guy who likes animals. Um, yeah. So, uh, I also thought, uh, Lita was cool. So, uh, Oh, Warren became a Thunderbird. That's his little Marini house. Yay. I feel so powerful. <laughs> yeah. Me, the lonely hor- horn serpent hanging out here. <laughs> um, but, um, Shout out to my fellow Slytherins, Lita Lestrange was actually, I thought she was a cool character. I uh, She didn't get much screen time, but there was actually this back history of her family that kind of added a lot of drama and tension to what was going in the film. Uh, and I thought it was really cool to explore that. Uh, and it's also cool to see a Slytherin that is able, willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. And she gives her life to save Theseus and Newt, which I thought was really cool. Um, I don't know if she. Oh, go ahead. You think she sacrificed her life to to because she oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. tried to trick Grindelwald to oh, kill him. Okay, and it yeah. backfired. Okay, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, I, I, I like the fact that we're learning more about. I think the moment that she was introduced in the picture in Fantastic Beast number one, I knew that she was going to come back. I just didn't realize she was going to be coming back so soon because like, I think one of the second scenes of the movie is her. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I mean, we're just going to just learn about Lita Lestrange. But I also like the amount of backstory and the mystery that was kind of, kind of shown about her. That was also really good. I'm sure somebody's going to talk about this later, but uh, I know Megan's going to definitely talk about this later, but the uh, the scene that you know we start learning, you know what they're afraid of. I thought that was kind of pretty cool because at one point you had no idea what the hell that was, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. that okay? I mean, we have something that we have something a bit more deep and a little bit more complex of figuring out what the heck that is, and um, you know that comes back later on. So you know, I'm not, I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I'm glad that we actually kind of get a bit of a sense that. You know, just because of the name, right? And I think we've seen a lot of that in the other Wizarding Universe with Harry Potter. Just because you have the name doesn't necessarily mean that you're ultimately evil. And so I like, at least in this particular case, we're meeting and we're being introduced to a lot of characters that may have a similar name or some sort of lineage. But they don't necessarily have to be automatically evil, right? I think that's actually pretty cool. And it's nice to see JK kind of writing these character, complex characters. That is probably the I mean, we talked about Snape, right? We talked about Sirius. We talked about Albus, right? She has a really, really strong knack to writing complex characters that we can all at least sort of side with, at least at some points. But they're also human, right? As in they make mistakes or they're also like people too. Um, so I'm really, I'm really glad that we are getting a lot of that in this movie. Like a lot more character work. Not enough, I think, but we have a lot more character work. Something that I really, really felt 
was not there in the first film with just about anybody. Um, And so I'm really glad, at least for the majority of this movie, we're kind of... I felt like we're kind of going back and learning more about these characters that we were just introduced to in the first movie about a lot of their backstory and other things that is affecting them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I would say, like, as far as uh, other characters I would mention or other acting um, that needed some work, uh, Ezra Miller continues to, like, just dumbfound me why he's in this series. Uh, He was basically silent and just considered a monster in the first Fantastic Beast. And now the only thing he can say is, who am I? Um, So why does he walk around and just, like, look? Uh, Solomon deadpan the whole time. What's his point? This um, is such a huge point of contention for me with yeah. these films because Ezra Miller is a good actor and he yeah. is com- his talent is completely wasted on Credence's character and it's not his fault. It's the writing around Credence uh, or uh, or Aurelius or whatever you want to call him. Um, I think Steve. that now that <laughs> Steve, yeah, <laughs> um, Steve Dumbledore. Um, but no, like, I mean, now that he's found a new daddy in the form of Grindelwald, I'm hoping that in the next couple of episode, uh, movies, he'll find some agency and some actual dialogue. But man, what a waste of a major, major talent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, along with that, uh, Nagini um, was kind of just like eye candy just to see her transformation and stuff, which was really cool. Uh, they tried to like shoehorn in this like little love story between her and, um, and Credence. And I don't know if it was just love or just friendship or anything. They're just two wayward souls trying to get through the world with one another. Uh, but, um, if you're going to take a character like Nagini and give her some type of, uh, presence in the movie, give her some more things to do, or let's build out her personality as well. Um, also, I'd love to see more young McGonagall at uh, at uh, Hogwarts. Like when, after Lita like shuts that girl's mouth up and then <laughs> she opens it and, and then shuts it again. <laughs> I was like, that's pure McGonagall. I want to see more of that. That's amazing. Um, to me, like the first in the original Fantastic Beast, the character that I thought was amazing was Queenie. Uh, she is underutilized in this movie. It's kind of sad to see her put like set to the side. I can understand like how she's easily persuaded to go to Grindelwald's side because that's his special power. Like her special power is reading minds. Uh, uh, she's still my babe, but she she definitely got the short end of the stick in this movie. Um, but. Other than that, I still love those klepto moles. They're amazing characters. <laughs> Even having the baby klepto mole run around was pretty cute. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, if we're going to be in Paris, why don't we see the Bobaton school? Oh, that's a good. Maybe it's not open yet. I'm assuming it maybe be, not. Though. No, it's one of the, like the four main houses. It's been yeah. around for a while at this point. That is a good at least call out. at least five years. Yeah, that's a good call yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear more and kind of see more about Queenie. I know that um, she, she got a lot more – well, she probably got about maybe equal kind of screen time. But like seeing how she seems to have some sort of breakdown and we don't know if she actually is reading his mind or not. And she's just kind of going with the flow and kind of – didn't it also seem like she was like maybe this is not what I want to do? Um, I just kind of hope it's not like a moment that she has to kind of sacrifice or she's going to try to betray one of the strongest – 
you know, most evil dark wizards, right? And she ended up dying because she tries to be a good guy in the end. Um, I think we've seen that story a lot. So I, I'd like to see that more for, uh, for her, but I thought her yeah, character was kind of weird. I, I like Queenie's character a lot. She's a lot of fun, which is something that you want in a Harry Potter movie. You want at least one or two characters who are just pure fun. Um, I find like I think her accent is great. I know it's supposed to be like like shot as like grating or obnoxious, but I think it's super attractive. I don't know if this is because I grew yeah. up watching the nanny, and so I have to think of Fred Drescher, and as a result, yeah. I have a name for Queenie too. But um, she, yeah, I, uh, go no, back I think to my her, cousin Vinny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boom, Marissa Tomei. Our entire generation has been uh, has been like uh, raised to uh, be to enjoy those type of voices, but. I think her character is great, and I think she's interesting, and especially with the way things turn out in this movie, um, you know, it's arguable that she, more so than Newt, is the, one of the most innocent characters from Fantastic Beasts, the original, and even in this one. And, you know, this will tie into more of what I have to say about the movie, but the fact that she was turned by Grindelwald into someone who supported his, like, like magical Aryan race mentality like, I think that's meaningful from a plot standpoint. And the fact that we didn't see any of that and we didn't get to see her transformation, we just got to see Queenie's innocent and upset at her boyfriend to Queenie is uh, like a race supremacist for the wizarding world. It's just <laughs> like happened like day or night. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I feel like seeing the transformation or at least the, the dialogue that brought her to that understanding would have done a lot for this movie, especially yeah. for showing just how impactful Grindelwald is when it comes to speaking to people and changing hearts and minds to his cause. And that's a huge miss for me that they didn't uh, delve more into her character in this film. I think it also been pretty cool. The fact that, you know, they have these trigger words that uh, Kowalski says twice of, you know, at one point calling her crazy and saying that he didn't necessarily mean it. And he actually didn't say it right. She was reading his mind. And then the second time, you know, fast forward at the end of the movie, he literally did kind of call her crazy. He said that out loud. And it's interesting to see, you know, it, it would have been nice to kind of get a, a little bit more backstory of how that was um, affecting her. Right. Was she being called crazy? Cause she can hear all these people's thoughts that nobody else can like, uh, empathize with her and so maybe like I, I, I'd like to get more I kind of agree with you Mocha I felt like that was kind of a bit too quick and it's kind of a bummer I agree and I think that's probably one of my biggest issues with this whole film this whole series is you have these characters who have such potential to be such great characters such like fantastic role models and we just don't get it and especially from the female characters. Like in Harry Potter, you have Hermione, you have Mrs. Weasley, you have Bellatrix Lestrange, who is crazy, but she's a very strong female character. You have McGonagall. You have all of these people who have such a great developed character. And you come to Fantastic Beasts and you have Tina, whose name I forget half the time. You have Lita, who had an amazing opportunity and she was like gone before you even got to see it. And Queenie who you don't even really know what happened. You have Newt's random assistant who I'm not sure if we even got her name. (laughs) And so it's just, I agree. There's, there's so many missed opportunities and that was such a huge part of what made Harry Potter great was the character development and the way that you could just kind of connect with these people. And you just don't get that in these films. 
I totally forgot Tina was in this movie. Right? <laughs> and she's an old yeah, right? Like, we see a, a, yeah. a piece of ripped newspaper that she's like, you know, she finally has got that. She was basically being snubbed the she's entire time. She's a badass. She finally got and, that. Yeah. She's out and doing that. And she's literally have- locked up. And the, the way the, the story's crafted between these two movies, she is the other protagonist, right on the same level yeah. as Newt. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. fact that you forgot that she was in this movie is a scathing indictment of this movie's inability to do meaningful things with its characters. Crazy, crazy. What you got for me, Mocha? Um, you know, for me, this movie, my biggest issue with this movie was the fact that it like did so much, but like did so little in the same amount of time. Um, I'll try to keep it. Cause I can rant about this for a bit for sure, but I'll try to keep it about the characters. Um, for me, Nagini's character was, I mean, it's obviously a huge shout out to the future story, but again, in, like tying into what I said earlier, she did nothing. This film, she was there just to be pointed out along with many other things as, Hey, this is a thing that you guys know. Cause you like the lore. Look, it's here. Okay. That's it. Like, um, they set her up to be someone significant because she's the person that Ezra or Credence breaks out of, like, wizard circuit, the wizard circus to, uh, go flee, uh, to flee and find freedom together. But outside of her initial showing, she didn't do anything. Like, she wasn't impactful to the story. She barely had any dialogue. Um, maybe they have plans for her in the future, but it's like, this isn't a random side character. This is one of Voldemort's horcruxes. This is uh, one of the characters that was always on screen with Voldemort throughout all the original movies. Nagini is significant. Um, like Nagini was uh, Neville Longbottom's first murder. Like these, like these are significant. And now you things. put a face to it, and it makes it so much more heartbreaking. Like it went from he just killed this giant evil snake to now he killed this poor woman who was cursed to be this snake. Like yeah. And that's yeah. like that should matter. That should really matter yeah. in these series. If you're going to go so far to give all these nods to the future story, you have to give us something more than just saying that it's there. So be happy with it. Yeah, and it's um, interesting that um, are they going to? It makes me wonder: are they going to pursue like keeping her as a side character where she has this story of like where she's resistant to who Grindelwald is, uh, but ultimately falls into someone someone's stead who's worse than Grindelwald. Yeah, and like that's something that I would want to see, but I can't say that I'm excited for that to happen because nothing about this movie gave me faith that they would explore her character in that deep way. And, you know, we have three more movies coming up. This is a five part series, so there's definitely time, but I'm not going to hang my hopes on them doing that. And, you know, when they first revealed Nagini in the trail in a in a teaser trailer for this movie months ago, there was a huge uh, backlash online from fans, from people who were upset that she was cast as a Korean woman. The reason being, of course, that you know, like Asians are traditionally um, like stereotyped as being exotic, and here we have this creature who's like in a in a human zoo and is in this. Um, traveling circus and of course they cast her as an asian and this was the general argument for online and at the time i was like ah you know i'm i'm not one to to rush to that to being upset about that but i feel like these people who were upset about nagini being cast as a korean woman have even more like might have a little fodder now that she didn't do anything in the movie either like she didn't have agency as a character she was just there and so i i don't know i feel like i wish that they could have just done more with her um and with really all the little things that they that were nods to to future stories. 
Um, again, this is this can kind of, kind of fall on the character standpoint, but I get that the series, the overarching series, is the Fantastic Beast series. But now that we're past the first movie, there should be way less of a focus on Fantastic Beasts outside of Newt's Laboratory. <laughs> this movie, the first movie was a prologue. The first movie was setting up who Newt is. We're supposed to get to know who he is and become comfortable with him and understand why he's the protagonist. But from this movie on, it's the actual story. It's about Grindelwald. Um, we don't need a bunch of scenes that are just directed at showing like beasts out in the wild. It was cool scene. I can't remember what the name of the the creature was it was like the Kishao or Shao Gu or something like that but the the uh, big Chinese beast that had the uh, fish tail yeah I mean, that's visually a really cool character creature but we didn't need to spend time on it like him like getting it to go into his briefcase and then using it later on in the um, in the uh, Cat central intelligence place yeah like that was just unnecessary it was filler that could have been used to fill out some some information about Grindelwald, show us some more scenes with him or whatever. And Queenie. Like, yeah, and Queenie. <laughs> I I get it. It's the Fantastic B series, but man, that should just be left in the past. It should be it should just be focus on the Grindelwald story now. Um, and yeah, if Newt's home in his in his little travel laboratory, show us everything you can. The Kelpie scene was really cool. It was just visually interesting. It was nice. Um, you know, seeing all the diff- like the Nifflers and that. I think his name is Peter, but the the big deer that can dislocate its jaw and make it super <laughs> super wide, like those are fun things to see. Keep them in the laboratory. Let's save the actual content in the film for things that matter to the story. Um, and yeah, I just feel like I don't know this movie series. Maybe this is a this is a problem that we face when it's no longer a movie being filmed about a book series that was written by jk rowling and is now just a film that's being made with jk rowling's input but i feel like there was a really significant lack of depth uh in this film overall that it needs because us harry potter fans who grew up reading those books devour that depth like we go swimming in it we devour all the lore it's like it's fun and this, this film didn't have any of it it was just a lot of random things that didn't really amount to much overall yeah, I mean, there's just what everything that you said I actually kind of agree with, uh, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, and so I'm going to, before I kind of talk to my points here, I'm going to toss it over to Megan. What you got for acting and character? Um, I have to agree with kind of everything that both of you have said. Aside from the Fantastic Beasts and not wanting more of them, um, <laughs> I feel like if the movie is a Fantastic Beasts movie, Make it a Fantastic Beast movie. If the whole series is going to be Dumbledore and Grindelwald, then make that the theme. I feel like we have two very, um, two very distinct themes that are kind of fighting against each other, and she's trying too hard to make them fit together, which ties into my other qualm about the characters. I love a good Easter egg or a nod to something in the lore and, and what have you, but it just felt forced. McGonagall being at Hogwarts, love it in theory, felt forced in the book. Um, the Mirror of Erised, kind of loved it have, having it be there, but again, what is the point of it? So that's got to be my biggest issue with the characters is like, in theory, I like having them there, but most of them I hated. The one exception is Flamel, who also I agree probably didn't need to be in it, but I thought he was good comic relief. I loved the way he like scooched instead of walked. 
I thought he was hilarious. Um, one final note, like very, very minuscule note, the young actor who played Newt as a kid, I really liked it because it, probably it was just the haircut, but the same kind of arched back, not making eye contact. I feel like he did a really good version of being a young Newt. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Mirror of Erised, uh, Megan, because, you know, again, it was a cool nod to the things that we know from the story. But when Dumbledore looked into the mirror, he saw he saw um, Grindelwald. And that's significant because we know in the mm-hmm. story that the relationship between Dumbledore and Grindelwald was extremely deep. Uh, they never go into how deep it is, but it's heavily implied that they were lovers. Um, at the very least, like J.K. Rowling has gone out after the fact and talked and mentioned that Dumbledore is uh, is like a gay character. However, that's been re- met with some consternation because a lot of people accused her of race of not race baiting, uh, but gay baiting, and basically saying like like saying like having her say, "Oh, Dumbledore is gay," but not having anything in the books relate to that as just a way of her getting points with the gay community or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is not something that I necessarily uh, that I wasn't I don't have a stance on before this movie. But when you show these characters, you know, like take that risk and go a little bit further in what you show with us. You know, we have the line where Dumbledore is like, "Oh yeah, we were more than brothers," but that doesn't really say anything. And when you see the mirror of Eris said. They used it as a uh, narrative device. It was a narrative dump. It was to show that they had a blood pact, and that blood pact resulted in the amulet. That's what they used it for in the movie. If they meant to actually do some sort of meaningful character development, we would have just we would have seen him and Grindelwald together. And I'm not saying some sort of like hardcore sex scene, but something that shows how really deep their relationship was, more than than just holding bloody hands together. Um, and so, and yeah, I think that's a miss. I agree because that whole scene is like a flashback to the past. And you're trying to say that the thing that Dumbledore desires the most is to go back into that moment and make a blood pact. It (laughs) it just doesn't make sense. Like fine. If it's a flashback, great. But, but that's not what the mirror is supposed to do. I agree. If, if it was to be there and act as it's supposed to, then his deepest desire could be him and Grindelwald together however you want to show it, but not showing a flashback of the past. Like that doesn't make sense because that's not what the mirror does. Yeah. Like I was, Oh God. I I was shocked that like in that moment, we didn't get a vision of Dumbledore and Grindelwald teaching together at the school or something like that. Like the peaceful world that he wishes he had with his friend, the two of them making out, right? Like it can be just the two of them having this nice, genuine moment together with no conflict. Yeah, they could be fishing on the dock. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just surprised that that moment wasn't anything about his sister, um, because we yeah. talked like getting into like the lore of you know what we know about Dumbledore and how he basically has had well, he's lived a life full of regret from there. You don't have to show the actual clash between Eva Fourth, Grindelwald, and Dumbledore. No, I know we're going to get more of that later, but. I, you know, it's it's surprising to me that, you know, that's something that wasn't necessarily kind of shown. And, you know, you are showing, like, the amulet, um, whatever you want to call it, with the blood pad and everything. So that was kind of, you know, it's a little odd that, you you know, you chose to sh- show that um, and not 
more of basically what your life kind of becomes because at this point your sister already has passed away because of your actions so the only things I do want to add is um, really just one character uh, and that's Kowalski and why is he in this movie um Kowalski's great. No, he's one of my favorites. We talked about it, and I'm going to, like, you know, I'll put you guys on here and say we already have so much stuff in this movie. We do not need a character who should have been obliviated. He was obliviated. But they imply at the end of the first Fantastic Beast that he's going to remember. Yeah, and Queenie's like, I I mean, Queenie's. for the lack of a better term, Queenie's thirsty and she goes straight to that baker. So Yeah, but so you're telling me that everybody in New York remembers. No. No. Just, just him. him. And just the way he explains it is he says it's supposed to erase bad memories. Turns out I had a lot of good ones. Yeah, when was that supposed to really erase bad memories? Yeah, I don't know. Because I'm pretty sure Hermione <laughs> erased herself with the Obliviate curse, and so it's supposed to erase bad All memories, or just literally erase. It was Hermione that shitty of a child that her parents were like, <laughs> "Good, I don't, I, I want to forget you in the first place." Hermione so, is a pretty smart wizard, so so here's she, the thing, right? Like, she's doing some really things. unique things. We're putting, we're, we're putting, yeah, we're putting in a few different things, right? And we, I, I can understand how the Obliviate curse was actually being applied. Let's not get into the technical of it that much. We can definitely talk about it off. Uh, but my issue that I have with uh, some of the characters is, you know, it's going to get into the story. So I know we're going to kind of move into that one next. But it really felt like she either didn't like what she's done from the first Fantastic Beasts and really tried to correct that. And it really felt like she really wanted to say, okay, shit, I'm kind of in a, in a hole here, so I'm going to maybe rewrite this character back into the story and maybe have some odd motivation. Because you were talking about how Nagini didn't do anything, but I'm like, Kowalski literally didn't do anything except us as the audience move from place to place to place that we really didn't need. Um, and yeah, yeah, but the only reason why I'm bringing this up, and I'm not saying that he's necessarily a, a waste of a character, but he could be. But I'm also wondering if the Obliviate curse didn't necessarily stick because he actually is a wizard. And we'll get into this in theories before, but is he like the missing brother or whatever that we got in the end? Like, I'm, I'm curious to see <laughs> if there's something more that we know or kind of we have about this actual character, or if not, I'm going to be real pissed because he just feels like he was wasted. I don't think that's the case. I think uh, like it's great that they just took two seconds to say like, "Hey, that Obliviate curse didn't it didn't work." Sorry, I uh, like that they said, "All right, let's go ahead and move on, bring Kowalski back in, and let him do his wacky hijinks." I mean, he's a side character. We don't need to explore him. It's cool to have him be the like fish out of water in this crazy wizard world, and how he interacts with it is entertaining. So, I think he serves his purpose. Yeah, I'll say this. The way they brought Kowalski back into the story was definitely um, a bit ham-fisted and just kind of like, well, we need him here, so uh, Obliviate didn't work. Next scene. Um, But I think that he is significantly more important than Nagini, whereas Nagini could be removed from this film and have absolutely nothing about it changed. Kowalski's character was there to be the uh, comparison for Queenie. We had to see 
some sort of effect for her switching over to the side of Grindelwald because without him there, she's just another person who listens to Grindelwald's uh, speech and becomes uh, like like motivated by it. But with Kowalski there, there's that emotional cue of saying, okay, this is someone who is turning against even the ones that she loves because she's been so enamored by what Grindelwald has said. But we have her sister there already. I mean, I, I feel like we could have gotten... A, a, a similar sort of um, storytelling of how you know Queenie found a love of her life, but it was obliviated. And we can we can easily tell that story how she potentially could go to the dark side. I, I guess we're going to say that um, to the point where you know somebody is going to like kind of lure her away because of her skills and how she feels a bit more accepted because she wasn't necessarily accepted from before, and that's why they had to erase his memory. And you know we can literally replace if they wanted to have like a buddy cop, right? We could literally replace a lot of his scenes and put Tina in there and have Tina and Newt go on this adventure. I feel like we have her in this movie. We had talked about it before, and there's funny lines, sequences. I love the salamander eyes line i love that part but i think <laughs> that could have been a build-up from before and it, it just feel like he was injected but we already have too many of those characters we have the crazy queenie character right we have the nicholas Tramel character we have these kind of uh, scene breaking or kind of just moving the story along and we just really didn't need him, especially because he wasn't really, I, I felt to me, right, didn't really need to be in this movie because he already was removed from the actual story from the first movie. I agree that we had too many characters, but I also agree with Mocha that he is the motivation behind Queenie. And she, she was fine living her life with Tina until he came along. And then she realized that she could be in love. There is someone else in the world who would accept her. And it turns out that he's not magical. And then she finally finds out that this other person who would accept her, she's not allowed to marry him. She's not allowed to spend her life with him. And someone is giving her an out for that, saying, hey, I know you're feeling like the magical world has not done what it should for you. And I'm going to show you a way that it can. And that is her motivation. I don't think anything with Tina could have driven that kind of motivation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, I guess I just see that, uh, a bit of a turn that's going to happen in one of these movies. Uh, I just feel like they're setting that up and I'm just kind of bummed, but I guess that's to be imagined. I I will also say too, that, uh, Kowalski's character completely, completely made the original movie for me. He was Agreed. the best part of it for me. He was yeah. so funny, and I didn't know the thing of him at first. But man, his comedic delivery and his comedic relief like helped me love the movie. Um, and on top of that, I have to give him another plus. Before this movie, I only knew one other Kowalski, and he's the fucking worst. So yeah. now I have like <laughs> a good Kowalski in my life. <laughs> so it's finally balanced, as all things should be. Man, oh, that dude wow. is so trash. You know, this is one thing that I can agree with you on, and I think this is one thing that we can all agree on, is that Kyle Kowalski is trash. Uh, Brylon, yeah. Brylon, Brylon, <laughs> come on. So, now that we've done talking about Takao Kowalski, uh, let's talk a bit about the story. Let's talk about more about the uh, Wizarding World, a bit of the Universal building. We're going to continue our conversations. I'm pretty sure we're going to continue to talk a bit about Dumbledore. I know I already kind of started. Uh, I'll toss it over to Megan. It says, uh, talk to me a, a little bit more about everything that you have here. 
Um, I have to say one of my favorite parts about Dumbledore in this movie was kind of how he was similar to Lupin in the Harry Potter novels. He was the Defense Against the Dark Arts instructor that actually taught something. He was a teacher that everyone looked up to, that he was very charismatic and intelligent and really cared about his students. And the um, Boggart scene, Bogart, Boggart. Wow. Boggart. Um, <laughs> Boggart was one of my favorites because that was one of my favorites in the Harry Potter series with Lupin. And I think that he shows this supportive side to Newt when he goes up there and he's nervous to be in front of everyone. And same with um, Lita. He, everyone is afraid to stand up in front of their peers who already make fun of them and show them what their deepest fear is. And Dumbledore is standing there saying, hey, it's okay. We all have fears. Just, just do it. And that is kind of what Lupin was for the entire Harry Potter series. And that was one of my favorite things about Dumbledore. Um, Turns out it had nothing to do with Grindelwald because I don't understand why these two stories are mixing. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I'm tossing it over to you, Bradley. What you got? Uh, yeah, when it comes to the story, um, some of the things I really liked, I I really liked the exploration of the Lestrange family. Um, it got made it very, very dark. And it's it just reminding us that even though this wizarding world starts in like a very magical and fantastical place that they're not afraid to actually explore some very dark overtones and make it very serious at times. Like the whole story behind um, Corvus uh, Lestrange using the Imperious Curse on Lita's mother and literally just like enslaving her and taking her back and making her have his kid and everything and she dies in childbirth um they they really don't pull any punches i mean that was more disturbing to me than like seeing um cedric diggory get killed in goblet of fire for the first time that uh yeah i was like really like this was really really dark and they even like i mean Corvus Lestrange looked dressed like a plantation owner from the antebellum South. And, um, and like, um, Lita's mother, she, I mean, it looked like, I mean, it's just like slavery being embodied, like in this moment. And, uh, that there's also during this time and whether it's America wizard world or British wizard world or Parisian wizard world that there's a lot of racism and a lot of prejudices that they're trying to get through and everything for um, people and and like they're, they don't really express it as equal rights it's really interesting that they approach it that it's like yeah things things are these are the laws and the laws of the land because of protection and safety and all these terms you hear nowadays that people try to push like these very oppressive things across uh that um that you get to see like all right how did they how from this very more dark uh prejudiced world how do they get to where Harry Potter's existence is? And I find that to be a really interesting setup for where they may take the rest of this series. Um, 
also thought that um, this movie also really improved on the lack of coherence that the first film had. Like, the first film was just like, let's throw Wizarding World stuff at you 24-7, constant, constant, constant. This one does have a plot. There is, like, cohesion to its story, even though it still, I think, suffers from just J.K. writing the script because she's used to writing novels. And with novels, you're going to give a lot of exposition before you have an action point and you're going to stop and give exposition the movie feels you feel that in the movie every single step of the way where someone's going to let me tell you about the legend so and so or let me tell you about this story here uh where it's just not going the movie doesn't really um flow that well because of that and that they're not letting the action say a lot to the story which would make it a better movie as well, like you would see in the original Harry Potter films. Um, Brian, I really quickly just want to take a quick step back and uh, jump off of something that you said earlier. When you were talking about how legitimately disturbing it was to see how Corvus Lestrange handled his relationship with um, Lita's mother, uh, her mother, uh, you mentioned that it was really disturbing and upsetting. And, it definitely was, but I have to give props to the writers of this film because there's actual historical precedence there. Oh, um, yeah. This movie takes place in the 19, late 1920s, which means that when Lita was born, it was in the late 1800s, and Senegal, which is where her mother's from, was a French colony during the late 1800s. So the notion of uh, Corvus Lestrange, like this French this white French nobleman going to Africa and just taking someone and saying, well, you're my sex slave moving forward with magic and I'm going to impregnate you. And like, I won't even matter to me if like that, that you die. Like that's an actual like historical tie in that I think is way deeper than this movie needed. Like I would have expected this movie to go. And I actually appreciate because not only is it disturbing from a conceptual standpoint, it's actually kind of in its own way, historically accurate with how, a situation, similar situation might have fall, uh, gone through at that time. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good um, call out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, also uh, something where um, I think, like, if they definitely explored, like, ideas like that a bit more, um, that the movie would be um, a lot more uh, entertaining as well if they actually gave people things to think about like that uh but also i felt like because they did focus on exposition a lot that uh the action suffered a lot so we do get some moments of magic and wonder like you mentioned the um the lion earlier or like i mean even those black cats that the lion was fighting those looked really cool um and, but i mean ultimately like we see that like we got these very all-powerful wizards like Grindelwald and Dumbledore and the most we see Grindelwald do besides being a voice of persuasion is uh, put a lot of drapes over houses and also <laughs> just make a ring of blue fr- flame uh, which turns into <laughs> some three cool dragons which uh, at the end for some reason who knows yeah. Um, the best action in this movie was in the opening before the titles card. Like when Grindelwald escaped, that was some good fucking wizard yeah, action. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. like they were soaring through the sky. They were fighting people on brooms. He was doing cool stuff with his magic, like filling the inside of that cart with water. And that set a tone for me that did not get followed up upon <laughs> yeah. throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> um, Brylin, uh, a couple things. That spell that Grindelwald kind of does, I think – 
I think I thought it was supposed to be a nod to the spell that ooh, can't remember his name. In the book, it was a different person than it was in the movies. But basically, it's like it's a hell fiend fire. I think it was called a hellfire or something like that. I thought it was a nod to like one of the you know spells that you're never supposed to do anymore because it basically just burns everything in its path until it it's yeah. no more. Um, so I thought yeah, it was we that find one, out. but it looks different. It was a different color. There's a few different things that was different to it. So I was curious to see if that was the nod or not. Uh, Megan. You gonna say something? Yeah, it was a little reminiscent of the um, the fight that happened in the Ministry of Magic. I believe it was Voldemort and Dumbledore, mm-hmm. where it was like fire and water, oh, yeah. um, and the two kind of like coming together, and the weird blue dragon and the red flame that everyone did, and very similar to that. I agree. Yeah. Um, the yeah. other thing I wanted to mention was. Um, I think you had mentioned sort of what I was kind of alluding to before. Uh, we get a lot of exposition be- because it felt like we didn't get that in the first movie, and we just kind of lacked. It like we maybe because we focused too much on animals the first movie and not enough character. I, I don't know, but a lot of this movie, besides that opening sequence, was a lot of just talking and exposition. That I'm like, I, it feels like you're rewriting this first movie in the second movie and we're getting this explanation of characters that we should have gotten at least half of in the first movie so we can expand upon it but you're going back and I think I was talking about kind of retconning a little bit it feels like you're like kind of going back and like doing yourself JK Rowling a bit of a disservice of not just going with the story that we have and then continuing on I felt like we kind of had to go back a lot to explain a lot of stuff and there was even one line that um you know, Dumbledore was like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Dumbledore and uh, Newt were talking about how he sent him to America. And we find out that he actually did send him to. And I'm like, yeah, uh, quick, quick lore, lore call out. It is Fiend Fire, Warren, that you were thinking of. Um, I have to say, Warren, with the issues that you had with the movie, I think tie into what Bryland was saying, where at the end of the day, J.K. Rowling is a fantastic book writer. And the reason we have book writers and screenwriters is for that whole thing. You know, it seems an awful lot like she had all of these things that she wanted to do and explain and touch. And at the end of the day, we didn't get enough of any of them because there were too many. We needed to pick a couple and go a little bit deeper. And my, this will kind of tie into what we talk about next, but my, my dream is that at the end of this five movie arc, we go, oh, I get why she did that in the first one, but my fear is that each one is going to try to do too much and we end up not getting anything. And at the end of the day, I saw the movie with my brother and what he said was she should have written books for this that we all could have read. And then we could have turned it into movies and I would have been happier with that. And maybe she would have decided if she was telling a story of fantastic beasts or the crimes of Grindelwald, but it just it was too much, and we didn't get enough of anything because because of that. And it's and a bit of a bummer, you know. I think we yeah. all would have loved. Uh, I can't say we all. I'm sorry. I think a lot of people would have loved to read these books if that they were. But uh, you know, now she's releasing the screenplays of it, and I'm like, 
I mean, I, I don't know if that's the the best way. And you know, I think one of my favorite books out of the Harry Potter universe, if we you know talk about top three, would be one, seven, and then five. And one because the movie that that book starts off by hinting and talking about the Deathly Hallows of what it freaking ends at, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the first like, <laughs> five pages right is super super powerful you can go back and reread the first five pages maybe like 10 and i'm like oh she already knew exactly where she was going with this uh, i love jk i mean i i definitely have faith in her especially because she's an amazing twitter presence if you don't follow her y'all are crazy mm, mm-hmm. um but <laughs> i just you know it really felt more of the exposition felt like she was shit i'm like you know i'm trying to fix some stuff and then that's where we're getting a lot of these other nods right and uh easter eggs excuse me what what i I mean by nods and i'm like yeah i i get that but if we were to just remove half of the easter eggs and remove Mm -hmm. half of the exposition and just continues their story the movie was 215 right 220 i think we have enough time for that more than just one or two accent sequences like it's kind of a bummer and it definitely felt like at some point instead of being your own movie you're setting up the next movie and so it's just like okay hold up you're trying to fix number one by setting up number two nobody likes episode two (laughs) in star wars because that shit's terrible because literally you're trying to fix number one and set up number three so that's insane attack of the clones is uh, arguably the best movie of that trilogy of course you would say that because you have the worst taste, Smoka. The absolute worst taste. We're not talking was- about Star Wars. Why did you bring it up? I have to say, I think that J.K. Rowling is usually so great at making a story that happens to fit into a larger story. And I feel like this hasn't done that. Like You could pull book one off the shelf. You could pull book four off the shelf. And it is a story in itself. Like you were saying, this kind of tried to fix one and set up for three. You couldn't watch this movie on its own. It doesn't make sense. And I love a good movie in a series that you can watch on its own because it has a plot. And I feel like that's kind of what we were missing. Yeah. A bit of a bummer. Um, but at the same time, I still I think the majority of us like this movie more than number one. So I think no. that's also... No? Okay. So the majority of the people like number two over number one. Um, nope. Okay. But I'm pretty sure everybody liked this movie better than Star Wars Episode Two. Hey, Brylin, what else you got? Uh, the only other thing I got is, I mean, was Grindelwald rocking that Elder Wand? Yes. It was, oh, yeah. at least it was very badass. Uh, it was pretty, ob- not obvious, but apparent to me that he had it the entire time. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of a um, it was a bit of a nod in the beginning of the movie, too. Where the agent that helped him. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so there's a bit of a nod, and then it was definitely on display. But I'm also glad that they didn't like spend a lot of time kind of re-explaining yeah. that. But I thought it was pretty cool. I'm glad that people are starting to look and catch on. It's like, oh, cool. Uh, we're still not entirely sure how Grindelwald got the Elder Wand. So I'll be curious yeah. to see how that happens. What's really cool is like, we he, he definitely, it. he definitely dresses the part. He's like, he walks by a uh, hot topic, then stops at Burberry and he's ready to rock it. <laughs> over. Um, 
That but, is a um, great mix of stores. <laughs> and I think it's it's the perfect fit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, are, is it uh, that the crimes of Grindelwald in this movie now, or is he just murders, straight up murders 100 plus R's after his rally? Is that the crime? Or is it just being Grindelwald? What are the crimes of Grindelwald? I mean, well, at this he point, and he's already murdered a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. 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 he's, he's murdered a lot of people. He was, oh, by the way, he's in jail in for jail. murdering. Yeah, him, <laughs> he, him in jail being like restrained. I thought that was pretty cool, although it wasn't him. Mm. I thought that was a pretty cool kind of walking sequence. That was, that was pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, I think all the crimes kind of happened off screen, and they finally caught him. So yeah. he was so, supposed to answer to his crimes. Warren, I just want to make it clear that we already know exactly how Grind- Grindelwald got the Elder Wand. He stole it from what's his name, who runs the uh, Elder oh, Wand uh, store. Oh, Alavander. The Elder Wand store. <laughs> oh wait, come to he... this store if you want the Elder Wand. Go oh. to this other one store if you want. Just it's like a Walmart for Elder Wands. <laughs> so he went. Uh, he uh, he stole it stole from Alavander or the Gregorovich. Gregorovich. Thank you. Gregorovich. Right. My bad. Yeah. Good call. Good call. I was like, I thought, okay, my bad. <laughs> um, side note about the costumes. Every evil person was wearing green. There was a moment where <laughs> Grindelwald <laughs> and all of the people with him were in this beautiful deep green. Every single person was wearing green. That's so it's rude great. to every uh, Slytherin out there. Slytherin prejudice. I, I... It's a beautiful green, though. <laughs> it is a great green. <laughs> Avada green. <laughs> uh, Megan, I do want to uh, make a correction that that was actually not Grindelwald in the cell in the movie. And that was the wand maker? No, it was Abernathy. Oh, that you told, that we talked about yeah, separately? Was, yeah, that we talked about separately. Mm-hmm. So. But like, well, I, I so talked I was- about it, I think it was movie number six. It's when they're learning about the Deathly Hollows and they're trying to figure out where the Elder Wand is. They're trying to backtrack and figure out. And so, then they visit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mocha, what you got? Any any other thoughts? Um, you know, not too much that's different from what we've already talked about. I will say that it, it felt nice to return to Hogwarts. Um, I completely understand why we got so much of Hogwarts, considering the characters that were involved. But, like, come on. It's a new series. Give us new insights. Like, show us Durmstrang Institute. Show us the place that Grindelwald is from. And I get that we have three movies, so maybe we'll get more of it later. But this movie from the get-go should have given us way more about Grindelwald and his backstory. And seeing Durmstrang would have been a great way to highlight some of that. Um or say I want to know what like. or as Michael Gambon says, Bo Battens. <laughs> Bo Battens. <laughs> or if not, at least at least show us the the gap in time. Because I feel like this whole movie was very confusing. It could have been set at the same time as the Harry Potter universe because we don't show any sort of difference. I mean, maybe the robes were slightly different, but I feel like there was a lot of potential with that as well to show. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And you know what? This movie, Dumbledore in this movie was just there. Like, he didn't really do a lot. He wasn't impactful in any sort of way to the film. But he was if a cool you had. Teacher. Yeah, he was a cool teacher um, who hadn't yet discovered his affinity for uh, flowing nightwear. But. <laughs> 
You know what? If you had if you had removed the scenes that involved all the uh, the extraneous Fantastic Beasts, and instead gave us scenes where Dumbledore, while with his hands tied in Hogwarts, was having solemn flashbacks to uh, his time as a youth with Grindelwald, we could have seen some cool stuff. We could have seen uh, some more impactful things about Grindelwald and maybe the start of his uh, belief in a superior wizard race. We could have seen Durmstrang. We could have seen like any number of things. This movie there should have had a- to find the death of the Hollows and stuff. Yeah, we. Sh- this movie should have been chock full of Dumbledore flashbacks. The fact that it wasn't blows my mind it's such a missed opportunity um uh do we know yeah, the like, title of the next movie not yet no okay no the the crimes of dumbledore <laughs> shut up <laughs> <laughs> i'm real upset more fantastic beasts <laughs> um but no yeah this Too film fantastic like two beasts <laughs> <laughs> Some of my favorite films, Ryland. I know you probably don't know this about me. <laughs> Such a soft spot for the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, man. Uh, and yeah. then Jason Statham joined him. Uh, great time. <laughs> we'll have a last call about Jason Statham. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But no, yeah, this movie missed a huge opportunity. We should have been getting so much backstory for these characters. We should have gotten so much world building, so much extra extra lore. Um, you know, we know Hogwarts so well. And as Harry Potter fans, we know every little detail about those previous stories. JK should be giving us nonstop new thing after new thing, which I felt in the first movie. Like, the first movie took place in America, and that was... Mm-hmm completely untouched in the previous movies that was really cool and this movie we went to paris which we know has its own wizarding school which we know has its own wizarding culture and all it gave us was a few inside shots of their ministry de magic uh, but nothing that was really meaningful and fuck man like why wouldn't you take that opportunity as like it just seems insane to me that they that they wouldn't have yeah and i guess lita was kind of dressing in like that bobaton silk type of style dress Bo Biden. Yeah. <laughs> that Bo Biden style, uh, Joe Biden style. <laughs> <Bo> Biden. <laughs> the one thing that we saw in Hogwarts in this movie that I really enjoyed was when she opened up, when Lita opened up the desk and it was L plus N or whatever, there was a Deathly Hollow symbol in there. Yeah. And I liked that. That's probably the extent of it. Yeah, that is a good it's Easter egg, actually. I didn't even notice that. But, you know, I'm glad you guys pointed out Lita because I thought her character was really cool. I thought that her character was significant, but I feel like the film didn't give enough of a meaningful focus to her. So that way her so that her untimely death would have an impact. Like when she died, it just sort of happened. And we're supposed to be really moved by it. But like we needed more. All we got out of her was just the flashback, which was cool. And the acknowledgement that she had a chip on her shoulder from her time at Hogwarts being a Slytherin and being a Lestrange. But man, like we didn't get nearly enough from her out of this movie for her death to be really, to really hit us. Um, You know, in the last movie, all we got of Lita was a picture at the very end. If Lita had been introduced in the first movie and then died at the end of this movie, that would have set a precedent for the next three films that I would have been, that would have like shocked me. But it just felt, it felt kind of a, like paper thin in this movie. Um, I really wanted to know more of the backstory behind the love triangle. I know Warren strongly disagrees, but 
she was clearly really, really good friends with Newt, and they hint at it, right? Like that there was some sort of connection that even in the time that it, the movie is set, there might still be something going on, but she's engaged to his brother. Like, how did that even happen? I know it doesn't really matter to the plot, but why throw it in there? No, yeah, exactly. If you're going to put it in there, have it matter and tell us why. Um, and, and maybe and you know, that's a reason why Newt and his brother don't get along. That would yeah. be a great way to explain it. And yet we don't. And there's, yeah. there's precedence for that, too. Like we had love triangles in the first Harry Potter movie. It was a big right? part of it. Yeah. So like, why not? Like we would understand if they, we got that. And the thing is, it wouldn't be a love triangle for the sake of a of random romance. It would have fleshed out these characters more, which we're told in this movie, hey, Newt doesn't like his brother. You should care about it. What I thought was cool, though, is like, you don't hate Theseus. He's not a dick mm. or a douche or anything. He's, he's a bit more of a straight arrow than Newt, but he doesn't come off as a bad dude, which I thought was really cool. And it's like, so where's all this animosity coming from? And I got the feeling that, um, whatever, if there was ever anything serious between Newt and Lita, it was just unrequited that Newt just kind of never took the plunge or never got the courage to ask Lita out. And Theseus was there to have a little bit more bravado and everything and just, uh, one or over, I never felt that, like they fought over Lita. Just Newt was kind of um, infatuated with Lita rather than Theseus, who wanted to actually be with her. Mm. Theseus definitely has big one energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've talked a lot about the story. We talked about the characters. One of my favorite parts, and I'll try to keep my theories short. <laughs> Uh, but I have a bunch of theories, but I'm curious, you know, I'll go ahead and curve the question as, you know, where do you think the story could go? Uh, I know that there's a lot of questions that we actually ask. Uh, I'm curious to see what's some bigger questions that we have here. Uh, I'm not going to rattle all mine off. I know y'all all see my list, so don't worry. Um, but I'm curious. Uh, do we think that um, he is a new Dumbledore? Uh, I mean, if if the phoenix is fox, I would say yes. Uh, and I'm I'm believing that something will happen by the end of the series where the where fox shows up at Dumbledore. Um, Do we know where to get that bird from? They arrive at Dumbledore's household whenever they're ready to. I mean, it's just whenever the phoenix is. Are you ready talking to about do his thing? Oh, Credence? where did Grindelwald get the baby chick? Credence had it. There was a scene with him and Nagini on like the attic or rooftop or whatever, and he was holding this tiny little chick. Where where it came from, we don't know. We assume it came to him. But no one knows. The circus it's just there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I still think that uh, Kowalski is the missing brother, but you'll fight me about it. Okay. <laughs> the brother uh, that found. Yeah. That, that He's kid, Corvus that kid's not dead. The, uh, I definitely at that scene turned to my brother and said, and that's how Aquaman was created. <laughs> well, Cause that was a trailer before the movie. You even remember that the vision that he said talks about the person rising from the water and blah, 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 blah. Right. And mm. the only person that drowned in this movie, quote unquote, right. Was the baby that went, but we actually never seen the baby die. And yeah. if you're going to kill other children with the killing curse and 
clearly in this movie and nobody talks about it. I'm like, oh shit, all right. Then at least you better tell me that that baby's dead. If not, I'm pretty sure that baby's not dead. So I'm pretty sure that baby's going to come back in some form or fashion. And so uh, Corvus Lestrange is probably going to be a good person. That's going to be another uh, good... Well, I guess that per- that baby's not a Slytherin, right? But could be another good Lestrange. <laughs> Slytherins oh, yeah. aren't I, inherently evil. I almost forgot. That was the other disturbing scene was when Grindelwald had his crew walk into yeah. that room and just Aww. shoot that baby. Favorite yeah. like, scene of the year. I was so excited that they did that. Bra, bra. Well, <laughs> for, at the same time, guys, like, let's not be... We already saw that scene multiple times. Voldemort did it. Right, so we we saw Voldemort. He never, he Voldemort never failed at doing it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But, baby killed yeah, him. I know. The but Voldemort, <laughs> but Voldemort did that. So I'm saying Voldemort went in and literally did a killing curse on the baby. But he right? did like, it. He did it to protect himself because it was his his understanding that if that baby lived, he could not. Grindelwald just killed the baby because well, it was in the way. Well, that baby. Yeah. Grindelwald did not kill that baby. Did he? Well, no, he told his assistant. Are clean. He, he was on not, his orders. We have not seen him do a crime. We have yes. not seen him do a crime. His assistant who point. had the fancy Except hat. for domestic abuse. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, my other sort of theory I'm going to talk about is I th- still think that Ariana is an obscurial. Um, I think that was a huge thing that when they even talked about it, they introduced what an obscurial is in the first place. Um, so I think that's going to be kind of interesting. Ariana uh, Grande? Yeah. Ariana Grande. <laughs> Thank you. Next. And uh, somehow, some way, we're going to see more ties into the actual Harry Potter lineage uh, with the Peveril family. And I know you shake, I know you shake your head, <laughs> but I guarantee you, I guarantee we will hear or see somebody say something about Godric Hollow next movie. And you're going to like, and so it's going to be in there. Yeah. yeah. Especially the old woman who um, sort of knew uh, Albus as a kid who died in the... The old m- woman who was Nagini? No. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah. that little innocent Nagini straight kills this old woman for no reason. It's <laughs> terrible. All right. What other, what other questions, lingering questions or theories you got? Uh... My biggest I, question is how does this fall into the whole span of the story? Like, what is the point of this story and how is it going to play out? Um, I'm a little sick of these twists and turns of like, hey, this person is actually related to this person. Just kidding. There's 10 minutes left in the movie. We're going to swap it around and there's someone else. I I love a good twist, but at some point it's too many and it doesn't make any sense. I, agree. I predict, yeah, I predict there's going to be a moment in the series where Newt has to tell Dumbledore he's wrong and that he has to go against Dumbledore's wishes to actually do the right thing, just because even Dumbledore is fallible. I like that. I like that a lot. That Newt is, as Dumbledore said, someone who has no interest in power. And at the end of the day, he's going to do what's right no matter what. And I really like that that idea. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I did have another dark theory that I don't think uh, Megan likes. 
Because <laughs> I love Newt. <laughs> yeah, but I'm pretty sure that Newt is going to defeat Grindelwald. Get the power of the Elder Wand, but somehow be like suffering and sort of possessed so that Dumbledore has to kill Newt. And that's how he gets the Elder Wand. No. That's a lingering question, right? <laughs> yes. How does the Elder One get from Grindelwald to Dumbledore? Yeah, that is I mean, canon. But we know from history <laughs> that Dumbledore defeated Grindelwald. So, but, but we know from history that Dumbledore defeated Grindelwald. We don't necessarily know if it happened by himself, by his own wand. We don't know if somebody else was there. I mean, could be. I'll tell you what. I'm proud of your imagination. You Thanks. got a strong <laughs> one. It's like vibrant. Um, well, as for me, here's the other thing that oh, the the other thing to note about it in, in the beginning is we also know that um, Newt is just as skilled, if not even more skilled, as an or as his brother they, and everybody mm-hmm. else. So he has tons of skills. He could be another. I hope he's not like another exceptional wizard, but he also could be. He just doesn't really care about that too much. Besides, focus on saving animals. So I like that version of it too. Um, and there could be something that's going to tie into it there. Saving animals and using their talents towards thievery for the most part <laughs> and breaking the entering <laughs> buildings. Uh, I think we all saw that coming. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for me, I have four main predictions for the upcoming movies. One, Credence is not a Dumbledore. Um, I don't think that's the case. He's pretty clearly being just manipulated by Grindelwald. Um, if you're, if you have somebody who is super powerful but won't give you that power unless they know who they are, telling them that they from they're from the strongest wizarding family in history is a pretty easy way to get them on your side. So I think that Grindelwald is a liar. Um, Sounds like Star Wars. Predic- <laughs> prediction right? two. Prediction mm-hmm. two. The stick bug is going to get hit with a Nevada Kedavra. Uh, <gasps> It's gonna happen. That's his favorite character. He's gonna get. He's gonna get the Groot treatment. Um, he's gonna die. What Groot? Groot's he so Mocha, that's unnecessary. You talk. You talk about my theories and how my imagination. That is completely unnecessary. Watch for it. We've got three movies left. Watch that. That dude get Avada Kedavra. Um, a theory number three, two of the next three movies in this series are somehow going to be more boring than this one. <laughs> I think that the last movie is going to probably be super exciting and action packed. Um, but I, uh, I think the next two are also going to be let downs with the directory we've seen so far. And four, uh, my final prediction is that Johnny Depp is going to get me too way too hard for Warner brothers to ignore. And we're going to get a more interesting actor in the role of Grindelwald for the final, at least the final movie, let alone the last two. Charlie day. <laughs> yes. Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> The crimes of Damon. <laughs> you think you think he turns back to uh, oh, Colin, Colin Farrell? Farrell? I wish. <laughs> I like Colin Farrell so much better than Johnny Depp. I do not like Johnny Depp as a person or an actor, and I totally get why he's Grindelwald because I I get it. But I like Colin Farrell so much more. Nothing about this movie convinced me that Johnny Depp was necessary for the role. Um, and as part of that is the writing. Grindelwald didn't get a lot to do except for just be quiet and look weird with his bizarre eye. But I think that could have been done by a number of people. And so I guess we're going to have to wait and see with the next few movies if he fil- lives up to his role. Idris Elba. 
Yeah, we need someone more charismatic as uh, Grindelwald because he's supposed to be changing people's hearts and minds. We definitely should have someone who's attractive um, and doesn't look wet all the time. <laughs> I think that was gay. Ezra Miller? Paul Bettany. <laughs> Ezra Miller would have been a better Grindelwald, I think, but I'm fine with him as, cre- as Credence as long as he gets like a new line of dialogue next movie. <laughs> so we can talk about future Why am I here? We can talk about all these things. Let's get into a bit of our kind of lasting thoughts and impressions. Toss it over to Mocha. Uh, I think I may find some uh, some pushback on this, but I feel like this movie lacks all the charm of the first. Um, it rushes through pretty much everything, and as a result, gives us very little substance in what should otherwise be a foundational series for or a foundational film for this series. Um, for me personally, hope dwindles for the rest of the series. And if it weren't for AMC's A-list, I probably wouldn't bother seeing any of them in theaters. Um, that being said, if you're a big Harry Potter fan, go see it, but temper your expectations. Ah, you can't be any more incorrect. Rylan? Uh, yeah, as, as incorrect as Mocha is. Um, this is actually an improvement on the first uh, Fantastic Beast film, where it actually has some coherence and plot, and they explore some really interesting uh, mature themes in this film. Uh, and Johnny Depp and Jude Law are fantastic in their roles. I'm only really concerned that we... that. Grindelwald and Dumbledore may overshadow Newt's story. And I think that's like the big concern with the series going forward is that they need to find a way to happily balance this or blend the Grindelwald Dumbledore stuff into a side story that just adds to how Newt becomes an interesting character in the wizarding world. And I hope they definitely add a lot more magic and really cool stuff to the rest of the films. Um, I would have to agree. I, I hope that the next three movies find some sort of direction that they figure out what story they're telling, because we have two really good things that could happen. You could tell this Grindelwald Dumbledore story and it could be moving and give us so much backstory on one of the most beloved characters in Harry Potter. Um, or you could do some sort of fun, lighthearted, fantastic beasts movie, um, which is why I loved the first one. It was very lighthearted. So overall, I mean, I'm a diehard Harry Potter fan. I'm going to see all of them in the theaters, but I wouldn't be heartbroken if I didn't, because I was very disappointed in this movie. So at the end of the day, I think um, I really wish that number one and two so far was just one movie. I mean, we talked about a lot of pros. We talked about a lot of cons, but you know, some of the biggest issues that I had is, you know, I just really wish JK Rowling would trust in her writing. Um, really hope that she didn't really kind of listen to a lot of the social commentary and feedback that came through with people not liking it. So I think she has an idea, you know, we definitely have to trust in the story that she wants to tell, whether it's, um, the Dumbledore story, whether Newt Scamander is this new character and the new story that she wants to go with, um, whether she wants to do simultaneous storytelling because, you know, although the book of Harry Potter was named Harry Potter, it could have been Neville who's the chosen one. So lots of different things with it. Yeah, I definitely trust in her and I'm excited to see where this is going to go. I would say this movie is better than the first, but like Megan said, you kind of have to see both of the movies um, because it's really going to be getting more of the complete story so far. And with that, we 
are the Down in Front Podcast. Thanks so much, everybody, for kind of tuning in. Thanks so much for Megan Arnold for joining us. Uh, I'll toss it over to one of my best friends and say, Brylin, where can people find more of your work? You can find me rocking my Slytherin Green on Twitter at Brylin, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. You can also find me on Instagram. I am Brylin. I'll post many movie and TV reviews from time to time on there. And I'm also the host of the Gamescast, twitch.tv slash downfrontpodcast. Playing through Spider-Man right now. We're almost at the end, but we're also starting our way through Red Dead Redemption 2. Ooh, I'm super excited to uh, tune into that. Mocha, where can people find more of your work? Yeah, so uh, if you're interested, you can find me on Twitter, uh, trying to Akio retweets to my content, at MochaMikeLI, as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me at MochaMike. Uh, the person who has that user account is hiding from me because I'm trying to imperious curse him into giving me his username. Uh, so until I locate him, uh, it'll be my MochaMikeLI. However, you can find me on Instagram, at MochaMike, where I post my photography work, and on Medium, at MochaMike, where I write some longer form reviews about the things you hear about here super nerdy megan where can people find more your work on the internet and what else do you do on the internet um i do a lot of drinking wine i wish it were better beer but i like wine a whole lot more so you can find me at friends with blends um friends w blends on instagram twitter facebook um with the one and only derek and of course warren even though we disagree on so many things we both enjoy wine you know, that's the second thing I can agree with you. Kyle Kowalski's trash and <laughs> wine's amazing. Yes. Hashtag. Support ginger rights. <laughs> <laughs> we have been the Down Front Gingers, Podcast. Gingers, the house elves of our universe. <laughs> we have been the Down Front Podcast. Check out our Twitter at underscore DAFP. We're on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Down Front Podcast. You can fi- also find us at our website, downinfrontpodcast.com. You'll be able to see a lot of our information, get our bios, a bunch of information. And we also have our links to our Friends with Blends and other um, small activity um, that I do. Uh, check out more of our work and stay tuned for our next review of Record Ralph Ralph. Breaks the Internet. Yes. Ralph Breaks I'm the so Internet. I'm so excited. Yeah. I was like, I think it's Record yeah. Ralph, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm super, I love Record Ralph. That. Yeah. Good night, everybody. So long and thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye. I'm still pretty sure that. I'm, I'm, ah. I'm still pretty sure. <laughs> so I thought that Hell no, she's not. She's a maledictus. Right. She has a blood curse. All these fancy words. Obscurial (laughs) maledictus. It's all just like Latin. Yeah, it's half Latin. Isn't it awkward that Credence Obscurial does better?